They say to understand the self, it's a lifelong journey and it's a lifelong process. So today, what we're going to look at is we're going to try to understand the self. We're going to try to understand self-concept. We're going to try to understand self-esteem. And we're going to try to get a sense of who we are with the looking glass self. Uh, But I'm very excited because I'm not here by myself. I have my partner, Michelle Du. Um, We're going to keep using the term partner, but she's actually my wife. OMG. No, oh, babe. Moments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, babe. Um, But I'm really excited to have her. Uh, She's, you know, she she enjoys doing this with me to a degree, but she does it for me more than uh, anything else. So we're really happy to have her today. So you want to say hello or anything? Hello. That's it? Yeah. All right. So first off, um, there's a lot of components to the self, really understanding the self. We got self es- self-concept, we got self-esteem, and we've got the looking gas self. So Michelle, how would you explain self-concept? So think of the self-concept as who you believe yourself to be. So this encompasses your likes, dislikes, talents, personality, characteristics, roles, it, it, it encompasses who you believe yourself to be. So it's not just like who you who you believe yourself to be. Like it's also like like the goods and the bads, right? Like it's all parts of that. Like it, it's like, you know, you, we see ourselves in positive lights. We see ourselves in, you know, negative light. We can be really self-critical. Well, that's more so related to self-esteem. The worth, the self. Yes. Yeah. So self-concept is identity. Just who you are. Who you are. So for instance, my self-concept, you know, I am a significant other to you. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my self-concept. I'm a pit bull mama to tank. Yeah. So these are more so my roles that make okay. up my self-concept. And then personality characteristics, you know, I believe myself to be kind. I believe myself to be hardworking, mm-hmm. things like that. I'm a teacher, things of that nature. So this is also going to include our social identity groups. So, for example, I just turned 45 yesterday. Uh, so that would make me middle aged, and I'm gonna like stay middle aged until I get older, and that's gonna take a long time. It doesn't just jump from thing to thing. It includes race, it includes ethnicity, it includes socioeconomic status, it includes family status, where you work, like all these things, right? So these are those role type things Michelle was describing, right? Like there's all these role, well, some of them are role and some are just are yeah. things, right? Uh, some of the roles we pick and some of the roles we don't pick, sometimes the roles pick us. Um, but like, how do, how could we like better understand like our describer words? Like, what do you think we could do to like help understand like the words we would use to see and describe ourselves? Like one of the things I can think of is like personality tests give you a sense of like like yourself and some of the things you like. Is there anything else you can think of as far as like things to help you discover who you are? Well, I think we're going to go into that a little bit more with the looking glass self and how we can figure out who we are by our interactions with others. Okay. Um, But before we get to those things, like things that can help you with selves that we have looked at is like true colors is a really good little test you can take. There's online true colors tests that you can take. Um, Generally speaking, they they fall into four areas. There'll be red or orange, which is like, what would you say? Like hyperactive. Yeah. Like thrill seeker. Yeah. Like get bored easily. Uh, We've got orange or gold, which is um, 
rule. Yellow or gold. Yellow or gold, which is task-oriented, likes the rules, likes very time Tradition. Yeah, tradition-oriented. You got green, which is like a curious, deep, like philosopher, thinker type person. Analytical. Analytical. And then we got blue, which is like relationship, uh, focused on relationship, peace. Collaboration, teamwork. It's very other-focused. Absolutely. Um, Another thing that Michelle and I have really started enjoying was is the anagrams. Uh, I like anagram because it tells you a little about about who you are, as well as things you need to look out for. Uh, So for me, uh, I'm an achiever and I'm a challenger, which is a kind of a annoying combination of things for someone that's like as extroverted and pushy as I am. So one of the things I got to always look out for is, am I being other focused enough? Am I thinking about other people or am I trying to include other people and stuff? What are you for your anagrams? I'm a helper through and through. Yes. So I I do a lot of things for others. That's my motivation. And with the anagram, I would say do it in partnership with the Myers-Briggs test because what I found is Myers-Briggs Helps you discover characteristics, more so positive characteristics about yourself. And then the anagram, like Roddy said, are those things that to watch out for, those pitfalls. What's your Myers-Briggs? I'm an INFJ. So tell us a little bit about like that and what that does. Because that's a very rare one, right? Yes. It's pretty hard to explain. But I do find that Myers-Briggs is probably the most accurate personality test for me. Because that was one that I took and I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that there was others out there like me. Yeah, part of like Michelle's Myers-Briggs is she's very, very intuitive. She very much gets a sense of things and feelings and stuff like that. And um, I think there's only like 2 or 4% of the population that's your style. Like that's what they low. say, but like, you know, we have to take those yeah. things with a grain of salt. Because like, we, lo- right, we love hearing how rare we are. Right. So it's making sure that... Well, and how many people in Nairobi have taken the Myers-Briggs, exactly. right? We don't know those things. So yes. getting a sense of what that is. So, Well, do you remember what your Myers-Briggs is? I am the uh, ENFP, I think, which is like the charismatic leader, like or as Michelle likes to call the me, cult the cult leader. leader. Yeah. Um, although I've been telling her, like, the cult leader's not, <laughs> not like killing it with podcast stuff recently. Um, but, you know, maybe it's just more of an in-person thing. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I think Martin Luther King was one of um, one of my styles. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. Who's was yours? I think so. Yeah. Oh, thumb. he was an ENFP. Oh, okay. Because Martin Luther King, while he was a really good speaker, he was an introvert. Think yeah, about again who he was in his day to day life. He was a powerful speaker, but that doesn't necessarily mean he is um, has that big personality. Okay, so. Before we get on to self-concept, move to self-esteem, I thought it would be interesting because like self-concept is how you define yourself, right? So what if we want to change ourselves? Like how would we need to manage our sense of self-concept moving from one idea to another? Well, I would say if you want to be something, then you need to do something. So you can't just say, I want to be... I know when you and I have talked about this, like, I want to be a fitness person. You can't just say I'm a fitness person. You actually have to go work out Mm -hmm. and do those things. In order for your self-concept to be something that's true to yourself, you actually have to take the action to do it. Yeah, and I think that's what people don't understand, especially, I would say, with the the workout thing. Like, because people think that the only people at the gym are the people that are already in shape. 
And that's not necessarily the case. Like, I, it seems like it, I'm sure, when you walk in there with, like, especially if you go into, like, an L.A. fitness or a 24-hour fitness, like, it can feel pretty intimidating. Michelle and I work out at the local community college fitness center, which is filled with many octogenarians, um, and it's much less, I don't know, competitive feeling in there, I guess. But... Again, if you want to be like fitnessy person, you got to go show up and you got to work out. And like the more and more you work out, the more and more you become the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I would say another thing for that is an example of this and how this works is like a student, right? Like there's a difference between going to school and being something that's really engaged in their academics. Do you carve out time to study? Um, do you see your professors during their office hours? Do you look at like ways to get tutoring, right? Mm-hmm. The more student-y type things you do, the more of a student you become mm-hmm. because you're doing those things. Yes, absolutely. So again, remember, it's not just like how you see, it's like what you do. So you need to feel as though you're the thing as well as do things that are related to the thing. Otherwise, you're just hoping you're something with no action. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to self-esteem. So what would you say self-esteem is? How would you describe that? So if self-concept describes who we are, self-esteem describes how we feel about that. So it's our evaluation, our self-worth, how we value who we are. So you were talking about earlier whether we look at things positively or negatively with our self-concept. That's where self-esteem comes in. Mm -hmm. So again, like I think the thing that Michelle says there that really gives us a sense of what's going on is like, we know who we are. How much do we value who we are, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, and there's positive and negatives to all people, right? Like for me, um, like I don't value... Uh, for me, like sometimes my self-critical nature, like I don't value how like critical or hard I can be on myself because it gets tiring at times. Um, but like when you look at it from a different way, I think like you can understand like that self-critical nature makes it so, you know, I'm my own worst enemy, but maybe I'm my own best cheerleader in that I try to take on things mm-hmm. to get a little bit better. Yeah. Is there anything that you like? are working on with the esteem stuff for yourself? Uh, currently not necessarily, but an example I like to give when we talk about this in my classes is that I tend to have more of a quiet nature. Mm -hmm. And that was something I felt more self-conscious about when I was feeling insecure. So as I've built self-esteem with this, I have seen this quiet nature more so as a strength. And I'll talk about this a little bit more too with the looking glass self theory, because depending the people I was around would influence how I felt about that nature and whether it was being supported or not. And I think your self-esteem struggles in places of becoming. Because right now, I think Michelle and I are both trying to live into a role of faculty But it's really hard at first, and nobody really tells, I mean, like, people do kind of tell you what to do, but nobody handholds you through all the moments. Like, a lot of it is really just on you, looking up things, finding stuff. You know, you'll go up in front of a class, and you'll do one lesson, and it looks like you just kill it. And they're laughing, and they're having the best time ever. And then you do the same thing again later, and it's just crickets, and everybody's just staring at you. Right? Those are hard, hard moments and just rough moments on the old esteem, right? Well, I mean, it relates to the communication concept and that communication is unrepeatable. So just because something hit well with one group, you can't always repeat that experience because now you're in a different time frame with a different set of personalities. It doesn't always mean it's going to hit 
Yeah. And and try as we make to be the best professor versions of ourselves, it's still just really hard at times. All right, so self-esteem, right? It's easy when we got good self-esteem, right? Everything's fine. Absolutely. There is problems with over-self-esteem, which we'll get to next. But uh, when people are like pretending to be confident, but they're really not, like the braggadocious nature. But we're going to talk first about... What do we do when we're in spaces or places where we don't have good self-esteem? So what do you do like when you're struggling with esteem? Well, some of what you just said, I would disagree with a little bit because I do believe in fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. There's a really good TED talk from Amy Cutting when she talks about this. It's about a 20 minute TED talk in which sometimes when we are experiencing low self-esteem, we have to convince ourselves mentally that no, we are a person of worth. So doing some positive self-talk and engaging with that. And even though you don't feel ready, still pushing yourself to mentally be there. I'm a firm believer in if you want to manifest positive things in your life, you have to visualize them and surround yourself with that mentally. So engaging in that positive self-talk And even if you don't feel it in your heart yet, you got to start with your mind first so then you can eventually feel it. Yeah, and I completely agree with everything you're saying. What I'm talking about is things probably that happen with men more often, false bravado or like cockiness or arrogance to cover up real issues where people get all crab talky or they push other people's identities down because they really don't have a good self-esteem so they're not trying to like do things in a positive way. They're trying to shut everybody else's esteem down so they can feel better about themselves. So Insecure dominance. Right. Yes. Uh, for me, I think like with the esteem stuff, it's understanding that you need some space to become. Like you're not going to just be something. You are becoming something and you're never done being a thing. You're always either becoming or regressing. Like everything's always in flux remembering you're in flux and giving you the grace of understanding that you're in flux is important Mm -hmm. because even like you know i want to be considered a good professor there's days i just stink it up because i'm just off that day like it happens right um but i also think that when it's time to try something new it's hard because we have this expectation of excellence that's unfounded like for me i was trying to do i was trying to jump rope at the gym the other day because i need to you know, improve my cardio stuff. You know, I talk about all that stuff, like, and what am I trying to do to take care of myself and get better? And uh, so I'm trying to jump rope, and I, uh, seriously, Michelle, like, it's like every seventh, if that many, skips, whack right on the ankles, whack right on the ankles over and over again. It probably took me five minutes to do a hundred skips because I'm just hitting my ankles over and over again. And this old lady comes up, and she's like, you're not very good at that. And I was like... Well, that's not fun to hear. But then I was said, uh, just own it, right? I was like, you're not, you're right. I am not very good at skipping rope. I haven't skipped rope since like third grade. I was 44 at the time. So there's kind of a lot of years between it. What I told her is like, uh, what I tell my students in these situations is to recognize that being bad at something is the beginning of being good at something. Mm-hmm. Like it's the start place. You don't start with just excellence. You start as struggle. Um, and what makes you get good is that you're willing to get through the struggle point to get to the good point. Yeah, we talk all about this a lot in public speaking. I can't remember who said this quote originally, but they said something along the lines of 
all great public speakers were bad public speakers at first. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of if you're already starting at excellence, then you really have no room to grow. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, is nobody starts at excellence. Like, nobody's just... People might have a greater propensity because of, like, personality characteristics or traits that make it easier to pull these things together but they still got to do the practice and work to figure out what those things are to bring together absolutely so i think like giving yourself a little space to understand that it takes time to become something is very important uh for me i've always been most attracted to effort me and my friend eric i think i've told you the story a whole bunch of times we're much more inspired by the person that's trying their butt off out of shape at the gym that's like just struggling, then the person that just has great genetics and is kind of like hanging out and sort of trying. Mm-hmm. Like I think the the effort is the part that's cool. Cause like, you know, I think one of the biggest problems these days is people just don't want to look like they're trying cause they hate to look like they're trying. Mm-hmm. That bugs me. Yeah. You ever have to deal with that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, it's time to look at the looking glass self. And I'm going to need you to explain this a little bit more because I don't know that I have a firm grasp on that. So what is this looking glass self thing and how does it work? Yeah, so it's from a theory that came from sociologist Charles Cooley and it was built upon by a philosophy professor, George Herbert Mead. So essentially this theory is, it's asserting that person's self-concept mirrors the way the person believes others regard them to be. Mm -hmm. So we can't discover who we are simply through introspection. It's through our interactions with others that help us determine who we believe ourselves to be. Mm -hmm. Like we don't understand how fast or how smart we are without the comparison, the feedback from others. Mm -hmm. You know, so something I always think of is uh, a quality part that I believe to be part of my self-concept is that I'm really hardworking and I don't give up easily. Mm-hmm. And that happens because I remember my parents telling me that specifically when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I played soccer for a good portion of my life and I just remember them always telling me like, you know, one of the things that makes you different, Shell, is that when you fall down, you get back up and you start running again. Mm-hmm. So because they told me this, this became a part of my identity. So I wouldn't necessarily be aware of these things unless others were telling me these things and the interactions I have with them. So mm-hmm. we get we pick up on these things, these feedbacks, whether it's through verbal feedback or nonverbal feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and understanding that is important too because you, like it's other people that see you that give you a sense of who you are outside of the you that you know, right? So. There's going to be parts of you that you hide from others. Like if you think about Jahari Window, right? There's the hidden self. Um, those are the parts, like the vulnerable, scared parts that we just don't want to share with people because like it's just hard, you know? We don't want people to know. Uh, but I would think what Michelle references here really well and when she talks about with the looking at self is the, um, they call it the blind spot, which is a little ableist. Um, but really it's the idea of there's a you you don't know that other people know about you. The more you can be open to them sharing this, the more of a sense you get of really who you are. Yeah. Well, and like another example of this, you know, I described with my self-esteem, self-concept is I tend to have a quiet nature. Mm -hmm. So when I felt lower self-esteem about this, it was a lot of the time because when I was in group meetings or things like that and people you know, elbowing, being like, you need to speak up, you need to be bold, you need to say more stuff. So 
when I had feedback like that, I thought, oh, this must mean it's a bad thing about me. Mm -hmm. This isn't a good quality for me to have. Mm -hmm. Versus people who are supportive of this quality and telling me, you know what, I like that you don't contribute to things until you are ready and feel moved to because I know what you're going to say is going to be of value. So see how those two different messages about the same quality influences Mm -hmm. how I thought about myself and those things. Right. And uh, I think the other thing about this is you got to think about who you choose to peep around you. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you've got friends or people in your life that don't want you to feel good about you. Yeah. Because they want to feel good about them. And the way they choose to feel good about them is they squash you. So they'll other or make fun of or they'll disparage like whoever you are. And they feel as though by squashing you and your identity that it gives them a sense of more value, which it really doesn't work. It's just a tactic that is tried. Because if you're able to squash other people's sense of self, then your own sense of self can get squashed. So in that anybody's identity can get attacked, it puts your own identity at risk. But can you be around people who really see you who get a sense of who you really are, who know your faults, who you're willing to share your faults with, right? Um, One of the great things I appreciate about our relationships is you are acutely aware of all my faults, but you still choose to hang out with me. And I, no, I'm kidding, she's laughing, but like, I really appreciate that because being so self-critical, like I know about these things and the fact that she knows these things and sees these things uh, makes me feel better because like, I do have a hard time with those parts of me. Like I like looking good. And it's very scary for me to be not perfect. And the fact that you know I'm not perfect and you still like me means a lot. Mm -hmm. So thank you, because I do appreciate it a lot. Uh, And it's something I still struggle with. It's very, very hard. And you know, I wanted to ask you, so with the looking glass self, again, it's the people closest to us who influence who we are and what we think of ourselves. Who's had that influence on you? So whether that's growing up, whether it was a teacher, a family member, a coach, co-worker, friend, who has influenced your, your concept of self? Well, obviously like my mom, cause like she's been the only constant person in my life. Um, she's been always kind of a little bit more of a cheerleader on things. Like she sees, uh, that I can have more of an altruistic nature. She loves telling stories about when I was a kid and I was saving money and I would see like poor people or hungry people and I'm like, just give them all this stuff. So she helped form your identity as an altruistic person. As more altruistic, because I'm really not that altruistic. I'm pretty self-motivated, like self-concerned. Like I actually do service, but I do service because uh, for me more than them, I think in some ways. Um, like, and it doesn't matter, like, what you choose to do it for. I still think the service is worth it. But it has to, like, I have to feel a sense of self-benefit for it first. But she still had an influence. Absolutely. Then. So yeah. Yeah. that's an example of, because there is a part of you that do that does believe yourself to be altruistic because of the messages she told you. Yeah. Who would be an example for you? Well, like I mentioned, my dad. Yeah. You know, my parents, my mom and dad. Um, other examples, I don't know, really. I mean, um, something that was interesting is I remember when I first started working in higher education, this was several years ago, and just being myself and meeting new people. And what I noticed is a lot of people kept telling me, wow, you are just a very kind person. And I remember thinking that was strange because I didn't feel I was doing anything that was 
remarkable by any means, but that it happened so often and being in a new work environment in which that was remarked to me, I started thinking, okay, well, maybe I am a kind person. This just isn't something I've really reflected on. So that's an example of having interactions with others, influencing your new sense of self-concept. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that sense of assessment. And it's hard to see who you are. Like, it's only, like, sometimes through other people that you see who you are. But, like, when whenever anybody's making fun of people, you really, like, don't oh, I like hate it. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it could be just, like, little goofy things, and you're like, no. You just do don't not make, make yeah. fun of them. Like, I think, I really think it's because, you know, you talked about how people feel uncomfortable trying. Yeah. And I think it's because we make fun of people who try. <laughs> you know, they're trying something new or they're just being themselves. And I think that, you know, I, you and I have had um, some conversations because I know you and your family like to watch TV shows and movies and make fun of people. Like that's part of your all's bonding. And that was very hard for me initially because I just don't think there's... I would ra- not spend my time doing that. I would rather more so look at, oh, how cool they're doing that and how positive that is. And yes, I would agree. You are very, very much that way. Like I still, sometimes I will make fun of fictional characters because I need to have some sense of emotional distance from them. Um, but you're so sweet that you even defend the, the fictional characters. You're a very kind person. I'm just crazy. <clears throat> That's why I like being around you, though, is like you're just... This really sweet person. So with this, last thing is, why do we talk about all this? Um, for me, it's because it's as cool and wonderful as you are, it's still hard to be a you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough out there. And to really like dig into the parts of you that you're ashamed of, I mean, that's hard to do. It's also hard to find people that are willing to affirm you and be good and kind to you. Like, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Also, you got to be willing to be alone for a while until yeah. you can find those people, which sucks. Yeah. But I think in the aloneness, you get to figure out who you want, who you need. Um, and it allows you to get a sense of, like, what you need, what you're deserving of, um, the people that are lacking in the world. So you can kind of, you be more open, you be in more space. Uh, I did a whole podcast on how to do friends better. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Some of it is, like, you need to go out and try and do different things, you know? I used to tell Michelle all the time, uh, me and my friends would always go out to the club trying to find partners, and then I'd find myself with crappy partners, not realizing I'm, like, trying to pick up people at, a like, a bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't seem like the best place to find functional, great happy with themselves people, right? I could have found folks like at the, you know, like a comic con, people that are really excited who they are and they're embracing their weirdness. Uh, folks doing service would be a great place. I think like I meet a lot of great folks uh, in doing activist work or standing up for other people, which is why I love this lifestyle of trying to be other focused and make a difference for fo- people because not only are we all doing our own self work, we're going and connecting with other people that are doing their self-work. And you're working with people that are trying to make a difference for other people, which I really love and enjoy. With that, do you have any like thoughts on like um, validating people's struggles or what you might like tell them in the quest to become their best self? I would say, honestly, a lot of it is just taking it a day at a time and understanding that a lot of feelings we experience are temporary. Mm-hmm. So... 
while there are low lows, understanding that there are high highs, but also a lot of life is in the middle. So that's Keith do wisdom that mm-hmm. I've learned from my dad and that sometimes we just need to be okay with the space in between in our journey and that some days are going to be better than others, but it makes those days that are better than others all the more sweeter. And just, you know, I know we talked about uh, reappraisal and reframing, maybe it was last year on a podcast, Mm -hmm. but when you are struggling, making sure that you are reframing the situation and knowing that, okay, this struggle sucks right now. And of course, embracing that feeling and not rushing through it, but knowing that there is some sort of silver lining to be found as well. And here's the other thing. All it is is effort. Mm -hmm. And effort's free. You know, the more effort you put into the process, the quicker you get results. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's just a whole bunch of little things and a whole bunch of little decisions. So with that, I want to check in on activism. What have I been doing to try to make the world a better place? I think last time, since I talked to you last time, I went and did service at Andre House, which was wonderful. It's always such a good experience. I had a really great group of students come down with me last time, and they were all trading their Snapchats with each other. Um, and they were choosing to go. We went on Weenie Wednesday. You've been on Weenie Wednesday before, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the fact that they had the opportunity to like go, I think they went and got hot dogs afterwards, which I thought was just adorable. Um, we've been working on a healing racism series, looking at how can we better understand the process of whiteness and coming to an understanding with our our own whiteness, because everybody embraces whiteness to some degree. And what does that do and how does that cause problems or issues? I was at a Playworks meeting and we're beginning the process of, um, I don't know how much I get to tell you about this. We're getting really close to finding mentors, uh, folks that we can like potentially groom. I think at our next meeting, we're going to meet potential mentors and we're going to do like a speed dating to find like what they're interested in, which I'm really excited about. I'm working more and more on a TEDx, which is going to be coming up on March 4th at Phoenix College. Um, been doing our Frank Talk stuff. Uh, went to an investiture. It's been a long time since I podcasted, so we did a lot of stuff. We got hitched. Yeah. We got married, which was cool. And then I also did some work with a uh, Playworks Junior Conference co- uh, coaching event where we talked about identity a little bit more, too. But that was wonderful. Um, and... As far as keeping up with my self-care, I would say my cardio is really good. My weightlifting is pretty good. Uh, This is the first week that I've got it done as much as I would hope to get it done as far as lifting and cardio because I'm hoping for six days, but I only really am getting five probably. I've been doing a lot more hiking, which has been nice. I like hiking as a way of uh, getting getting cardio in because it's just pretty and I get to listen to some really great podcasts and stuff like that. And with that, um, I have a recommendation for the podcast. So there's a book that I've been reading called Winner Take All. And the book is talking about how systems only allow people to do good in certain ways in which the system never changes, but then they can like pat themselves on the back for doing good. So an example of that would be how we really laud and praise entrepreneurism or entrepreneurist thinking. Um, but like the entrepreneurists never really make a difference for people that are really poor. I mean, you look at like an Uber and they're kind of taking advantage of their workers. They're not really helping their workers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a side job that anybody can do. 
but it doesn't pay as much as like driving a cab would have. And so it's looking at the systems in which keep people oppressed and keep certain people on top. Uh, winner take all. Really good. It's, I'm going to do a podcast with Calvin on it. So with that, uh, I appreciate your time and attention. I appreciate your ears. Remember to write, to rate and review the podcast. Share it with people if you felt like that you got something out of this. And then also let us know if you enjoyed having Michelle. It's nice having Michelle. Do you have any like final thoughts that you want to share with the audience? No, it was an enjoyable conversation. Well, thank you for being here. And remember, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at 860-576-9393. Again, that phone number is 860-576-9393. Or you can get a hold of us at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. That's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-M at cox.net. And with that, hope you're having a great day and we'll hear from you next time we're together. Blessings. Blessings.